guys are here today. Welcome to Springwell. Welcome to this morning. Uh, we have been so excited about this day and uh, just to change things up a little bit, just to kind of go from being a big band over the past few weeks and just stripping it down to a few guitars and a piano and just worshiping together this morning. So we're excited to do that. Uh, right now, can I get everybody to stand and could you guys just shake a few hands, uh, say good morning to a few people, and then we're going to worship together. together Holy Spirit
of creation There at the start before the beginning of time With no point of reference You spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light And as you speak A hundred billion galaxies are born In the vapor of your breath the planets form If the stars are made to worship so I can see your heart and everything you've made Every burning star, a signal fire of grace If creation sings your praises so Don't speak in vain, no syllable empty or void For once you have spoken All nature and science Follow the sound of your voice And as you speak i
going to introduce a new song this morning. Um, it's called Defender, and it's been kind of an anthem of mine over the last month or so that I've listened to it pretty much on repeat every single day. Um, back in April, I lost my mom very unexpectedly um, to a massive heart attack. She was 59, never had any history of heart problems or anything. It was a really big shock, and um, completely shook our world. And that's the moment that I began to um, build up all these walls around me. Um, I thought that I needed to be strong for my family, um, for my dad, for my brother, my sister, my niece and my nephew who are so little, didn't really understand what was going on. And I also built up those walls so that people wouldn't see how much I was hurting. And in the process of being strong, I built them up so tall and so thick, and I was completely blocking out anything that God was trying to tell me or teach me or show me. I just stayed behind those walls. And eventually over the next couple months, I got to this point where I was drained physically, emotionally, mentally, just completely down trying to fight my own battles, trying to be my own defender. And it brought me to this point where all I could do was just sit and weep and just hold my arms out and say, God, why is this happening to me? Why has this happened to me? And it was the first time that I'd spoken to him in months. And I just sat and I was still and I had my arms outstretched. And that's the moment 
when those months of me building up those walls, he completely destroyed them in a matter of seconds. Because that's when he reminded me that he goes before me. Every battle that I face, he's already gone before me and he's conquered it and he's defeated it and I don't have to fight it on my own because I can't. I try and I fail every single time. And I know there's people in this room that have walls up for whatever reason, a loss, an addiction, shutting people out because you're afraid. He's there every single time that you build that wall up chiseling it away and then you build it back up and then he chisels it away and you build it back up because he's fighting for you every single day and you don't even know it. So as we sing this song, I want you to listen to the words and if you're one of those people, it's time to be still. It's time to listen to what he has for you because it's so much better than what we have planned. So let's sing this song together.
this seems so much more like family that I can share my burdens with and I can share my hurts with Lord I pray that you would remind everyone that yes you have the ability to take away everything because you have the power to do that but it's not just that it's because you want to you want to take it from us because when we hurt you hurt with us Lord, you see us struggle and you want to help. So I pray that you would remind us of that every single day because this process is not an overnight process, God, because every single day I continue to try to build those walls back up and you just knock them right back down and you say, no, I am your defender. Stop trying to defend yourself. Lord, I pray you're that you would be with every person in this room that's struggling right now, God, that they would find comfort in you, they would find purpose in you, that they would be still and allow for you to knock down their walls. We thank you for your love and your power. So you may have noticed this morning that uh, we are, yeah, you can go ahead and be seated. Um, we are a church who we're just made up of people, of real people. Um, 
we don't try to be like anybody else. Um, when you walk in the doors in this place, you can know that you can walk in just as you are with your struggles, with your battles. Um, this is a safe place for that. Um, in fact, you're surrounded by people who are probably just like you. Um, we share hurt together. Um, a lot of us share the same battles. We share the same addictions. Uh, so this is a safe place to be this morning. Um, have you guys enjoyed the worship today? Hasn't it been great? Uh, right now, we're actually going to continue in a time of worship uh, through our giving, uh, which is something that we do every single week here at Springwell. Uh, there are many different ways that you can give. You can give to the number that's going to be on the screen here in just a second. Uh, you can also give at the kiosk in the lobby on your way out today. Uh, or you can do it the old-fashioned way. And in just a second, uh, we're going to pass a black bucket that is on the left side of each row. So if you're actually sitting on the left end of your row, if you would pass that black giving bucket down, and we are going to receive our offering at this time. this, but um, God is doing something special in our church. Um, there's some, some good things happening. If, if you're new here, um, you're perfect time, perfect timing. It's always been a great place, but what God is bringing together here with us and how he wants us to serve our community, it's, it's something special. He's doing something great. And so I, I say that because I don't want us to I don't want us to, to miss it. I don't want us to be used to something. Maybe it doesn't feel exactly like it used to, or, or maybe we've been here for so long we've forgotten how special of a place this is. But God's about to do something great, and uh, I'm glad that uh, I'm a part of this body and this community so that I can be, be here for it. So y'all keep praying, and uh, we're going to see um, God change our community through what, what he does through this church. Um, a couple of years ago, I was at a, a pastor's conference, and for those of you that have never been to a pastor's conference, you're blessed. Uh, not, <laughs> but um, 
You can imagine, it probably is what you see in in your head. It's a bunch of um, Bible nerds talking about the Bible and singing songs. And so that's pretty much much what it is. And you can imagine that everybody likes to talk because they're pastors, and so they they like to talk. Everybody tries to to force their dominance because they're pastors, and they like to talk. And a couple of years ago, I was at a a pastor's conference. We had gone through a couple of the uh, opening uh, large group sessions, and we had to break for lunch because, once again, we're at a pastor's conference. Lunch is like right after Jesus. It's like Jesus and lunch, you know, that, and, and the hierarchy of importance on the calendar planning this thing. So we're breaking for lunch, and, of course, you know what, you know what they have to have for lunch, right? Fried chicken, but specifically Christian chicken, chicken that's saved by God, and that's Chick-fil-A chicken. I'm just saying, it's Christian chicken. And so we all go out, we all, we all line up. Have y'all ever had like a Chick-fil-A meal that's catered, it's in the box? And so what they do is they give you like this, this chicken filet, and this is totally, this doesn't have any point, but they, they give you like this chicken, Chick, Chick-fil-A sandwich, but then they give you these waffle potato chips. Have y'all ever had those? Like really what they're saying is, you wanted waffle fries, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you wanted waffle fries, now you have to eat these, you know. Anyway, they're an abomination. And so anyway, so we, we're lining up, we're, we're lining up for our Chick-fil-A, and I'm standing there, and I'm talking, because if you know me, you know I'm talking. And I'm sitting there, I'm talking to somebody beside me, and somebody else who I assume is a, a pastor, a, a, a larger gentleman comes walking, walking beside me, and I don't hear anything else. All I hear is, yeah, I have a tutu. <laughs> and so I remember turning to the person beside me and saying, like, what was, what was that conversation about? Because at this point, I have this mental image of this guy in a tutu. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, yeah, I have a tutu. Sometimes we talk to ourselves. We tell ourselves things. And we don't have the context for the conversation. What happens is like me standing in line waiting on a Chick-fil-A sandwich, hearing only part of a conversation, I get confused about what the truth is. There's obviously more to that conversation, right, than I just have a tutu. There was obviously something that happened after that that I completely missed. And so since I just have my little portion of that conversation, I was greatly distracted by what it could mean, right? For so many of us in here this morning... You have been telling yourself and you have been believing half-truths. The problem is, is that half-truths lead to complete misunderstandings. And so you've been telling yourself, and whether you're doing this right now or you just wait a week, and some people do this more subtly than others. Like some people catch themselves thinking like this and talking like this. Some of us do it a little more subtly through um, our behavior, through other people and how we look at ourselves and even how we pray and even how we act. But you've been telling yourself some half-truths. You've been saying things like, I'm alone. You've been telling yourself things like, I'm a loser. You've been telling yourself things like, I deserve any bad things that happened to me. You've been telling yourself like, like, like the past does define me. You've been telling yourself things like, I'm ignorant. You've been telling yourself things like, I have no purpose, I have no point, but you're only telling half the truth. You've been telling yourselves things like, nobody really cares about me. You've been telling yourself things like, nobody wants to be there for me. You've been telling yourself, I'll always be this way. You've been telling yourself, I am what I did in my past, and you've been telling yourselves you're hopeless and you're broken. The problem is, is that half-truths lead to complete misunderstandings, and you are misleading yourself. 
This morning, I want to talk from the subject of finish the sentence. Finish the sentence. Because if you and I, are we gonna, if we're going to tell ourselves half-truths, if we're going to talk about the tutu, we're going to have to finish the sentence. Finish the sentence. And there's a perfect, perfect passage of Scripture for this, Galatians 1. And in case you don't know anything about Galatians, Galatians 1 is written by a man named Paul. Paul was, he called himself a Jew of Jews. He was high on the religious ladder of the time. He believed um, that he could do enough stuff to earn the love of God, that somehow through not doing the bad stuff, doing the good stuff, checking boxes, obeying rules, that somehow he could earn himself a place where God would love him and God would accept him. And so he had been doing this his entire life. He was raised that way. He was brought up that way. He was achieving some really good status that way until one day we see him in Acts so much as he is applauding the killing of some of the early believers, people they said followed the way that would eventually become Christians, the term Christian. He was applauding the killing of believers. So much so, he would have been in complete opposition to Jesus. And until Acts 9, we get a picture of Paul going on a road. He's on his horse to persecute more Christians, to kill more Christians. Jesus literally knocks him off his high horse. Like literally, he's riding a horse, falls off, sees a light. And Jesus speaks directly to him and says, Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? From that moment on, Paul would receive his purpose. That finished the sentence for him. That finished his identity and who he was. From that point on, he would go and he would plant churches. He would start churches in areas before there were any church anywhere. There wasn't a church on every corner. There was no church anywhere. He goes, he plants these churches, and so he would go and he would write back to these churches. One of those such churches is the church at Galatia. Now, a lot of scholars believe that before he started writing this letter, he wanted to write about something else, but... He had to set the record straight because these people had been traveling around trying to convince the people at that church in Galatia that the Jewish way of earning the right, earning lo the love of God through the right thing was actually the truth. And Paul, who has lived enslaved in this his whole life, has seen the light. He's like, I got to set the record straight. And so he writes this letter to the church at Galatia, and this is what he says. He sets it up. He talks about himself in the first chapter. And this is what it says, starting in verse 11. It says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. He was knocked off his horse. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the tradition, traditions of my father. And those next three words are the words I want us to concentrate on. But when God. But when God. That finishes the sentence. I was lonely, but when God. I was a failure, but when God. I was left out but when God. I was overlooked, but when God. I was destined to, I was destined for hell, but when God. But when God. That finishes the sentence and can change your life in a moment. And Paul realizes this and he finishes the sentence, but when God. I want to give us three sentences that we often fail to finish, but we need to learn to finish. Number one, 
I am a nobody. But when God gives me my identity, I am a somebody. I am because he is. You see, the Bible paints a, a beautiful picture of what happens when, when, when we accept Christ and we accept his salvation. It paints a beautiful picture of, 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 of literally the righteousness of Jesus, the good things that he did, the perfection of Jesus literally being transplanted onto us and literally all the bad stuff we do literally going to him. I am because he is. Jesus says, you may feel like a nobody, but I am giving you an identity as a somebody. You can't. You are not enough, but with him, you are enough. Jesus is saying, I identify you as my child. You are mine. You are a somebody. Quit talking about yourself like that. You are my daughter. You are my son. You are a somebody because I say you are. Got to finish the sentence. Some of you some of us have been in Paul's boat here. What Paul's been trying to do is he's been trying to earn it. He's been trying to do enough good stuff so that they'll appreciate me, so that they'll love me. He's been trying to do enough stuff so that God will love him because he thinks that's what the case is. The problem is, is if you ever achieve that place where you think you've achieved it, you are in sin because you're prideful. Some of us have been in Paul's spot. Many, some of us feel like nobody really knows us. And better yet, sometimes we're happy that nobody knows us because we think that if they did know us, they wouldn't like us. And so we feel like our family has abandoned us, that they don't know us. We feel like we're always overlooked and left out. We feel like somebody else always gets the credit, and we've been trying to block it out like we don't want the credit, but at the end of the day, we feel left out. We feel like we're a nobody. We've been... We feel like we always get passed up for the promotion, that we always get walked by when somebody's speaking to somebody. It's the little things, but yet we feel like our identity isn't secure. What Paul is saying is Paul is saying, I tried to earn my identity, but when God showed me who I really was in him, it changed everything. It changed everything. But when Let me take you back to December 20th, 2008. For a lot of you, that's five days before Christmas. For me, it was a day I woke up at 6 o'clock and never really went to sleep the night before. The next few hours were the longest hours of my life, but finally at 1.30 p.m., I drove to Somerville Baptist Church. At 1.30 p.m., I walked in with my tux in hand, I was nervous, happy, excited, scared to death all at the same time. Walked into where I was supposed to change my clothes. By 2 o'clock, I was changed into my clothes because I was so excited, nervous, and scared that I wasn't going to be able to figure out how to put that sucker on. I wait on my groomsmen for the next little bit to change into their monkey suits and their tuxedos that they didn't really want to wear either. Finally, at 3.55, me and the pastor and my Father walked to the front of the church through the side door at 4 o'clock because she's right on time always. The love of my life would walk through the back doors of the sanctuary of Somerville Baptist Church. She would make her way down the aisle. She would stand beside me. We would repeat some things to each other that I still have no clue what they were because I didn't really care. We would get done with the ceremony. We would walk right back down the aisle. Mr. and Mrs. Jonathan Pearson, we would walk down the aisle. We would walk out of the church. We would stay at the reception that we had spent a lot of money on for an hour and 15 minutes because I don't dance and I was ready to get out of there. 
December the 20th, 2008 rings in my mind because it changed my life forever. There are moments in our lives that change our lives forever and ever. And what Paul is saying is he's saying that day on my horse, it changed my life forever. I was trying to earn an identity by doing the right stuff. I was trying to earn an identity by, by trying to get recognized by other people. But when God finished my sentence, knocked me off my horse, introduced me that to, me, to himself, that he loved me so much, that he had purpose for me, that he had life for me, he said, but when God it finished the sentence, it changed everything for me, and it changed everything for you. Quit lying to yourself if you're a child of God because you are lying to his daughter or son. Thought I had no identity. But when God came into my life, it changed everything. God can give us in an instant what we've been trying to grasp for a lifetime. He can give you the freedom you've been trying to grasp for a lifetime in an instant. He can give you the identity that you've been trying to grasp that always a moving target. It seems like every time you take a step and you're trying to grab onto who you really are, every time you take a step and you're trying to grab onto to, to, to who, how, how God's wired you, who God's really called you to be, it seems like it just moves out of your way. God can help you grasp that in a moment. But when God, we have to finish the sentence. Paul continues in verse 14. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. The second sentence, I've messed up. But when God gives me grace, I'm made new. Every eye in the room, whether you care about anything I've said to this point or not, look at me. You are not what you've done. You are not what you're doing. You are not even what you've planned to do. The grace of God says you're so much more. The grace of God says you are not a failure. The grace of God says you are not your past. The grace of God says you are not addicted. The grace of God says you are not a nobody. The grace of God says you are made new because he says you are. And don't let anybody tell you anything different. Don't let yourself tell you anything different. You are made new. You are a sinner, but when God. You are messed up, but when God. What Paul is saying is he's saying God's grace changed my life. Let's say, for instance, that you were going to be on vacation for a week, and so you got someone to come and house sit for you. I don't know, maybe you have a dog or something. People take care of their dogs like they take care of their kids now, so maybe you've hired somebody. I don't know. And so you let somebody come and house sit for you. You go on your trip, and the week goes by, and you come back at the end of the week, and the man says, everything went pretty well. On his way out, he stops and turns back around and says, oh, by the way, a bill came while you were gone, but don't worry, I paid it. Now, let's say, for instance, that that bill was for your newspaper subscription. Does anybody still, still subscribe to the newspaper? Yeah, for a couple of you, you can resonate with this illustration. Let's say that that bill is for your news, news, newspaper subscription. It was 20 bucks. You'd be thankful, right? I mean, somebody gave you a nice gesture. But let's say that the bill came and he paid it and he says, oh, by the way, the bank called. 
they needed your entire mortgage on the, on the spot. If not, they're going to come and repossess this house. That would change. The debt that you're forgiven would change your appreciation for the forgiver of the debt, would it not? Some of us this morning have forgotten all that we've been forgiven for. And so instead of living a life out of thankfulness because of what God's forgiven us for, we've forgotten how big the debt truly was and we've begun to take it for granted. And we've even taken it for granted so much that we've denied ourselves of how messed up we truly were and how messed up we truly are and how much, and how much we are truly in for the need of the grace of God. Your debt has been forgiven if you're a believer in Jesus. He paid it all off. We've been given, forgiven a huge debt, and it's time that we walk according to that. It's time that we tell ourselves the truth that we are made new because he wiped it all out. There's no unpaid balance. There's no rollover at the end of the month. There's no finance charges. It's done. It's over with. It's forgiven. Live in your new home and in your new identity. You're made new. I love that Paul says, he set me apart in my mother's womb, and he called me by his grace. He tells me that God's grace is premeditated. <laughs> like, I can't think of anything that God hasn't already taken care of. Let that sink in for a moment. I can't, I can't come up with any new sin. I can't do anything. I can't even plan anything that God hasn't already taken up, take, taken, taken care of on the cross. I can't, I can't out-sin it. I can't outrun it. His grace is premeditated because you were on his mind. He's already finished the sentence. Stop beating up on yourself for your past. Stop telling yourself the lies of what you did last night or two weeks ago or what you're planning to do or the situation you're in. His grace is premeditated and he canceled the debt. Paul says, I was, I was messed up. But God saw fit before I was ever born to give me his grace. And God's grace touches all. I think a lot of times we we get into this thought in church where God's grace is just something that we, we accept to escape hell. But the truth is, is whether you're a believer in Jesus or not this morning, God's grace is touching you. God's grace is finishing your sentence. It's finishing everything. God has this common grace. God's common grace is literally what holds the world together. Like he set systems and things into place, but it's not like he just set it into place and backed up and said, have at it. His common grace is the thing that holds the world together, that keeps chaos from happening. He has his common grace. He has his saving grace. This is the grace that we love to talk about. It's the grace that says, you've been forgiven. It's the grace that believes that Jesus died on a cross and on that cross. Do you remember what he said at the end? He said, it is finished. He is finished your sentence, God's common grace, God's saving grace, God's provisional grace. The truth is, is if you have breath in your lungs and you have a heartbeat, you're experiencing God's provisional grace. He's provided for you this far. The fact that you sit here today is a, is a display of the grace of God making you new. It's a display of God loving you and saying, I'm going to provide for you. The fact, that you, the fact that you still have breath in your lungs, the fact that you could walk in here or come in here, the fact that you could wake up this morning is God's provisional grace, God's sustaining grace. God's sustaining grace is the, 
the thing that when we lose a mom at the spur of the moment, it's the thing that sustains us when, when we want to give up, when life gets difficult, when the people around us betray us, when we do tell ourselves those lies, God's sustaining grace is the thing that upholds us just when we think we can't handle anything else that upholds us. It's, it's how we can see people going through things and we can think, God can never go through that, but yet when we go through it, somehow we make it. That's God's sustaining grace. God's grace touches everything. It's touching all of us. And what it's saying is it's saying, I love you and I'm making you new. Finish the sentence. Quit lying to yourself like there's something floating out there that God hasn't forgiven you for. Quit lying to yourself that, that, that God has given up on you or that he's forgotten about you or that he's not into your life anymore because his grace is making you new. Finish the sentence. Paul goes on to tell what he did when he found God's grace in verse 16. He says, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia and later I returned to Damascus. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying, I knew those humans, I knew those people couldn't give me what I wanted. The third sentence, I'm not keeping up, but when God gives me value, I am enough. Paul is saying, I didn't consult them. Like, like I, di I didn't go to them. I didn't care what they thought at the time because I knew that Jesus had finished my sentence for me. I didn't, I didn't go and ask their opinion. I didn't compare my life to theirs because I knew that he had given me something more. I knew that with him I had his value, that I was enough. Some of us this morning, we've been playing the comparison game. And the problem with the, the comparison game is if keeping up with others is your objective, disappointment will always be your outcome. Because especially today in a culture and in a world that is constantly moving and shifting and we all can kind of watch each other from a distance, if we base our success and our value by looking at what other people are doing, if that's our objective, disappointment will always be our outcome because we're swinging at a moving target. If you or I, if we get our value from what somebody else thinks about us, we're swinging at a moving target because tomorrow they're going to change their mind. Tomorrow something's going to be different. Tomorrow we're not going to be able to impress somebody. And so if you're, if, you're, if you're basing your value on what other people think about you, you're going to be disappointed. Appointed. If we live by the compliments of man, we'll die by their silence. And the funny thing about this comparison game is that it works sometimes. Like, like it works sometimes. Because if I'm scrolling through Facebook or Instagram, or even if, if, if you don't do any of that newfangled stuff, and you're just comparing yourself with what other people have, it works sometimes because sometimes you're going to win. You're going to be scrolling through Facebook and your vacation is going to be better than theirs. The angle in which you took your selfie, you're going to look better than they do. Sometimes you're going to win, but the problem is, and that's why Satan can use it so much, is because sometimes it gives you exactly what you need. But oftentimes, because the next time you compare yourself with somebody, you're going to lose. Comparison is the enemy of contentment. Because if you get that endorphin hit, if you get what you want from comparing yourself to them, then you're going to go looking for more, and then you're going to find somebody that you don't win against. And it's not always just how we look. Sometimes it's what we have. 
Sometimes it's gifting. Sometimes it's ability. Sometimes it's confidence. Comparison is the enemy of contentment, and that is why our enemy is using it so much. Where do you get your your value? Comparison will give you a cause, but it won't give you contentment. In high school, I went out on a date with this, with this girl, and I had talked to her on the phone a few times and had met her a time or two, but didn't really, like, know her, know her. So I was decided I was going to take my Pontiac Grand down. I was going to go pick her up, and we were going to go to a movie and, and dinner. And, yes, in that order, I'm not going to explain why. We would go to a movie and, and dinner, and so all of that went well. And I had heard during dinner that she kind of wanted a Frosty. Being high school, on a, I'm on a Frosty budget anyway, and so I kind of filed that away in the back of my mind. On the way home, she thought the date was over, that I was going to take her home, and I decided to be a little bit more impressive than that, and so I saw Wendy's, and I pulled in. I pulled in. If you've ever been to Wendy's, then you know you're going to sit a little while. No offense if you work at Wendy's, but let's speed it up. All I needed was a 99-cent Frosty. So I get in the drive-thru. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, listen, I, I listen. I'm that kind of man. I know you wanted a Frosty. And I'm not getting you a kitty. I'm getting you a small, baby. So sure enough, we pull up to the drive-thru window. I order a, a small Frosty and... We sit for a little while. You see, I, I was a little nervous about this whole thing because my, Pontiac, my red Pontiac Grand Am had a tendency to run hot. <laughs> and so we get up there, and I'm thinking, this can't take long. There's two people in front of us, but let's, let's face it, that's drive-through math. It's going to take a while. <laughs> and so we sit there, and no joke, seriously, 45 seconds into this wait, I start to see smoke billowing out from under my hood. <laughs> Being a man that's really quick on his feet, I start making conversation, trying to distract her to get her to look at me. Sure enough, about 30 seconds later, she's like, what, what, is that, what is that smell? And turns around, and literally all she can see is smoke. I had distracted her, but I had just made it worse. So sure enough, we didn't even get our frosty. I have to pull out of the, out of the drive-thru, go park in the parking spot, and wait for my father. The problem is, is when we try to impress others, we always end up disappointed. You have nothing to prove. You have no one to impress. Because as Paul says, my value, my value is secure. I know who cares for me. And even though the lies come, even though I feel like I'm not keeping up, even though I feel like I know he looks at other women the way he doesn't look at me anymore, even though I, I compare myself with them because I'm not as young as I used to be, even though I compare myself with them because I don't make enough money, even though I compare them myself with them, what Paul is saying and what God wants you to hear this morning is you've got to finish the sentence because he says you are valuable, he says you are enough, he says quit playing the comparison game because he has already pray, played the grace game. Finish, finish the sentence. 
but when God. I looked up just a few of the things that God says about us as far as our value goes, and this is what he says. He says we are a child of God. He says we're a friend of Jesus. We're justified. We're redeemed. But we've got to finish the sentence. He says, but with God, I'm free. But with God, I'm an heir to Christ. But with God, I'm accepted. I'm a saint. You may have, you may have started sentences with, I'm no saint. But Jesus says, if you believe in him, you are. You've got to finish the sentence. He says, you are a new creation. He says, you're blessed. You're chosen. You're holy. You're blameless. You're alive. And you're provided for. You have value. Quit lying to yourself and finish the sentence. Paul would go on through the rest of this chapter to talk about, to talk about his purpose and how his purpose was to, to plant these churches. And I don't think it's by coincidence that he finishes up this conversation by talking about his purpose because one of the things that helps us finish the sentence is when we realize how valuable we are to the big picture. When you realize that God has uniquely gifted you, when you realize that God has uniquely called you to something bigger, you begin to see yourself as a part in his puzzle rather than just some standalone piece over here on the ground. You have purpose. He has put some things in you that nobody else has. Lean into those. Don't, don't want what somebody else has. Lean into the giftings you have. You have purpose. But the thing is, is that Satan will try to convince you that you don't. He'll try to convince you that those lies about, I don't have any talent. He'll try to convince you about those lies where they can do it, that they've got it. He can try to tell you that those lies that you tell, your, tell yourself, I can't be on a stage, or those lies that you try to tell yourself, I, I, I don't have anything to add. He'll try to convince you that those lies are true. But what Paul is saying is he's saying you've got to finish the sentence because you have purpose. Your purpose may not be a missionary. Your purpose may not be to start a church, but your purpose is valuable because you're a piece of a big puzzle. When you have that purpose to focus on, it helps you finish the sentence. It helps you fight for something bigger than just yourself. That's why we're created to serve others. That's why Jesus, that's why Jesus puts us in the relationship with people because we're created to serve others and to be a part of something bigger. And the second we get an, uh, uh, alienated from the rest of the crowd, whether it's our own doing or whether it's the lies that we allow to build up in our heads or it's the walls that we, that we build up, the second we do that, we lose focus of our purpose. And that's when the lies begin to have food and they begin to replay through our mind because we're feeding those lies because we don't have anybody to speak truth into them. That's why you end up staying home from church because Satan wants to convince you that it's not worth it because he knows if you come here, you'll have purpose and somebody will call those lies out. My question is, do you know how life-changing Jesus can be? With every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment. I have a, I have a little bit more I want to share, but I don't want to miss this opportunity. Some of you this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you don't have a but when God part yet. But the truth is, is that God has gifted you with his grace. All you have to do is have open hands to receive it. He has gifted you with his grace. All you have to do is receive it. Like I said, God's grace touches all of us. But this morning, for some of you, God wants to show his saving grace to you. If that's you, just in the quietness of your heart, you can say it out loud. We don't care. You can stand up and say it for all I care. You can just say, God... I'm tired of believing the lies. And like Paul, I'm tired of trying to keep up. I'm tired of trying to do all the right stuff. I 
I feel like I don't have an identity. I feel like I don't have your grace. I feel like I don't have value. And I, today I accept everything you can give me. I want to butt win God's story. I want to finish the sentence. I believe you died. I believe you lived a perfect life. You died. I believe you, you rose from the dead and I accept you as my savior this morning. I'm finishing my sentence. My life is no longer my own. In Jesus' name, amen. For the rest of us, my question is, what lies are you telling yourself? Whether it's something subtle. Do you know, do you know a lie I tell myself? I was a really big kid as a child. Well, I don't have a lot of recollection of being made fun of a lot. I always had this thing in the back of my head that everybody was talking about me. And so to this day, nothing goes into my mouth that I don't think about the calories in it. I don't miss a day of working out without beating up on myself. Last Tuesday, I pulled my hamstring. For the last four days, I've regretted I haven't been able to go to the gym. Because I tell myself a lie that people are going to talk and it's going to devalue me as as who I need to be. I know it's not true. But if I'm not careful, I don't finish the sentence. What lie are you believing? A couple of weeks ago, my, my little four-year-old boy watched a Curious George movie. It's a Halloween movie. I didn't he didn't think anything of it. He had mentioned the scarecrow during the movie a time or two, but we didn't think much of it until he went to bed that night. So we put him in bed, and you could tell he was nervous. As we're going to leave the room, he cries out. You know, you can tell, parent, if like if your child has a has a fake cry, like an I want something cry, and then they have a hurt cry, then they have a fear cry. And as we were leaving, we heard that fear crying. So I go back in. And I'm like, buddy, it's just a scarecrow. Scarecrows aren't even real. That, that scarecrow wasn't even real. It wasn't even in real life. Somebody just drew that on a piece of paper, and they showed it on a movie. And that worked. He went back into his room. Sure enough, five minutes later, Melissa and I were laying on the bed, and he comes back, and he has that, that fearful cry. And you can see the tears in his eyes. And, like, literally, he's trying to talk, but all he can go is, <gasps> Like tears are streaming down his face. I, I'm worried that the kid's about to hyperventilate because he is scared to death. You can see the fear in his eyes. Finally, at that point, I'm like, there's got to be something wrong. So I, I, I go in his room. I'm like, buddy, I'll go lay down with you. So we go in his room. I lay him on his bed, and I, and I sit on the edge of his bed, and I talk to him. I'm like, buddy, what, what, what's wrong? He said, he said daddy, every time, every time I close my eyes, I see that scarecrow. I said, buddy, just think about something different. He's like, I tried that, Daddy, but I keep seeing that scarecrow. I don't even want to close my eyes. Daddy, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. He's never struggled with fear. And so finally, I, I told him, I said, buddy, you know how to pray? I said, ask Jesus, ask Jesus to take it away. Thank Jesus for being in this bed with you. He said, Daddy, I've tried that. I knew, I knew you were going to say that. I've, I've tried that, but I keep seeing that scarecrow. I said, buddy, I said, okay. I said, that scarecrow is sitting, standing on a stick in your mind. I said, every time you picture that scarecrow, every time you close your eyes and you see that scarecrow in your mind, I want you instead, I want you to picture Jesus hanging on a cross on that same stick. And I want you to picture him saying, Riley, I love you and I am 
with you. The thing is, is that that kind of thing doesn't end with childhood. The problems get bigger, but we still have to fight those mental images, those things that come into our mind, and we have to, we have to reverse those. As 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, he says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus. You've got to keep fighting. You've got to take those mental images, those lies that he's telling you, and you've got to do something with them. If you just allow them to replay and replay, they create ruts in your mind. You've got to see Jesus, and you've got to see him on the cross say, it is finished. It's time for us to finish this sentence. What What sentence? Sentence do you need to finish? But when God. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for victory. Lord, right now, I pray for those people who are, who are struggling with lives that they're not good enough. God, we, we tear down those lives. God, for those people that don't see a scarecrow but are scared to death, God, we tear down fear. For those people that have been told that they're not valuable or they're messed up or something's wrong, God, we finish the sentence. Lord, for every believer in my presence, Lord, I pray that they would learn to fight the battle in their mind, that they would learn to lean into what you say so that the lies can go the other way. God, give us victory. Thank you that you say that we are redeemed, that you say that we are loved, that you say that we are graced, that you say that we are provided for, that you say that we are never alone, that you say that we are bought, that you say that we have communion with you, that you say that we are an heir to you, that you say that we have value, you say that our identity is secure. Thank you, Lord, for what you say. May it scream louder than the lies we tell ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Just the song of it.